Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. One thing I've learned in the dark kitchen business, don't run after volume. Run after the average ticket value. Why? Because you're sitting there then not having to service a huge amount of customers and you're delighting every single one of them by low volume, high value. This is Asa Rubani, the founder of Chow Bunch, which is a dark kitchen brand that was launched in the midst of the pandemic. Asha has more than three decades of experience in the food and drinks industry, primarily from the supply chain where he founded Penta Foods from his mom's garage and developed it into a 50 million pound business. And in this conversation, we take a deep dive into the state of the union when it comes to dark kitchen brands and operation. Asha shares a lot of detailed insights on how you can get it right when you are launching a dark kitchen brand. We discuss how you ensure early traction and how you build a virtual brand people trust and keep ordering from. He also shares his life and leadership lessons from 2020. I can promise you there's a lot of great business and leadership advice in this conversation. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. But now, grab coffee, notebook, and pen, and let's get started learning on how you launch a dark kitchen brand. Today, we're going to be touching on something I feel extremely excited about because there's been a lot of talk through the the last 18 months about this uh, phenomenon, the dark kitchen, and uh, what it actually can do for you as an operator, but also the opportunities that's within it. And there's a lot of myths around dark kitchen as well, as we'll find out today. So we'll, we'll try to dispel some of them. And uh, we'll also try to find out what is it that we need to, to unlearn and relearn in general, in the industry as we move forward. And for that, uh, I have a great guest. I have Asha here with me. And uh, we he has not only, you know, launched his own startup business within uh, Dark Kitchens, uh, he has also advised, but also been in the industry uh, for, for decades uh, in the supply chain and now probably a bit more in the, in the front line with the face straight to the fire, as we say. And he launched a business in the pandemic it's going to be so interesting to her hear about his learning and how he has approached it because he had an opportunity to to reset everything and think very differently about how he went into a hospitality uh, with his dark kitchen operation with that said welcome to the show thank you very much michael thank you for having me and we uh we had a couple conversation before this conversation and there was so much we will talk about that we probably need to 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 steer it a bit today, but uh, we're going to see if we can get around it because I think there's a lot of lessons learned around your dark kitchen, but also your own experience. For people that, that don't know exactly who you are and your background, can you give them like the, the elevator pitch about who you are, where you're from, what business you're in and what, you, uh, what you're trying to solve right now? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. My name is Azra Rabani. I have been in the industry uh, for 30 years. Originally, my parents are from India. Uh, I was born actually not far away from where I work uh, in, in Lewisham. Uh, and uh, uh, I grew up primarily, although born, born in the UK, grew up in the Middle East. Um, my father was a civil engineer. He, he went out there uh, just before the oil boom. Uh, over, over the years, I mean, my family has been in, in business for three generations. Uh, that's, that's, that's how we operate. And um, in 1990, uh, we started Penta Foods, which was a food service business. Uh, and that started in my mother's garage. 
and we grew that business to the heights of um, just under 50 million. Um, really successful business, quite cutting edge, in, especially in terms of service and also the range of product. Uh, we are, we're buying globally, selling locally. Uh, the, the, obviously, the pandemic came. There's a whole story behind Penta Foods. Um, but we, we, we grew that business. And then I moved into the other side of the, what I call the, other, the flip side of that table. Instead of uh, being um, servicing the industry, I'm actually now uh, being serviced by my ex-competitors um, as, a, as a dark kitchen operator, which we launched in February of this year. Uh, and so that's one area of, of business that I, 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 I'm involved in. I also support the industry that has given me so much in the last 30 years. It's where I cut my cloth um, as, an, as an operator. Uh, and I, I, I give back to um, restaurants, hotels, operators, uh, advice, uh, mentoring, support, um, NED services, a um, whole range of services that they, they would um, aspire to, uh, to taking on, somebody like myself. Um, the other area that I guess I, I've, I've, I'm about to launch is something called Sales Valley, which primarily is looking at sales teams um, in, in food service, but and in the future, maybe beyond, looking at uh, supply chain operators who have sales teams, and again, looking at how they can serve their clients rather than sell to their clients. And that's the proposition, serve versus sell. Good, good, Asa. So I wanted to start out with, because the reason why we connected was because you launched this dark kitchen that's called Chow Bunch, and you operate a number of brands under that, from, from burgers to, to, to other cuisines, down to salads you're launching soon. Could you, because there's been so much talk about what a dark kitchen is, could you try to define what a, you know, a dark kitchen is in, in, in your view, and uh, how it's uh, actually, uh, you know, how should we actually understand dark kitchen? Because there's been so many definitions flying around about a dark kitchen. Is it something you operate out of a container? Is that something you operate out of a restaurant's uh, extra capacity? What is your de definition of a dark kitchen? How do you operate with Chow Okay, it's a great question. I think a dark kitchen is a food production unit. It is definitely not a restaurant. So, because it does not have a front. There's no walk-in business. There, it depends, um, you can have click and collect, but that depends on the site and the, and the accessibility of the public. But in essence, it's a food production unit. It's effectively a hole in the wall. Uh, it can be in a container. It can be in, 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 a, in, a, in a shop, a takeaway shop, um, which doesn't have a front effectively. Uh, or it can be in an industrial unit like we have, where we, we are sharing 24 other kitchens in that unit. So we're one of 24 kitchens. Um, and uh, the, the, that's a new sort of format of dark kitchens where you're, you're, you, you go into an industrial unit and they, they're divided up into sub-kitchens, mini-kitchens. That's where we operate from. Uh, it, 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 it is a low-investment business as opposed to investing in a restaurant, which has a much uh, uh, um, longer return. It takes longer to, to, to get a return as opposed to um, a dark kitchen. The return is faster. Still requ requires a lot of patience. It's 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 a tough business to to operate in. Um, and and the most important thing about dark kitchen, as opposed to um, a restaurant, or, or is that you are invisible. And that's the challenge here. How do you create visibility out of an invisible business? Um, a, a restaurant is very visible. It sits on the high street. You do a little bit of advertising, social media, you know, um, and, and, and that works really well. You have a, a physical footfall coming in. Dark Kitchen only has a virtual footfall. That's the difference. You don't have physical footfall. Um, primarily, that's where the, 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 the customer base sits in the, in, the, in, the, in the virtual footfall. How do you attract that virtual footfall into your business, especially when you're not? a high street brand like Nando's or Honest Burger or Byron's. And, and that's super interesting because what you're saying is that it's a, it's a brand that lives virtually 
and you don't have any face-to-face contact with the the customer. That's how you defined it. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about you know the the profitability that's within that. I think you already uh, made a hint to that. It's not as easy as it sounds. So it's is it easy in a way? Let's just kill that meat. Is it easy to create a dark kitchen and uh, make profit out of it? It's is it, physically it's easy to do, as in it doesn't require a massive amount of money, um, but you still need at least. Uh, you know, to, to, for initial startup, comfortably fifty thousand pounds for initial startup, which means you have to find a unit. Obviously, you you, you deck it out. Um, then then there's a whole process of menu developments and what have you. And and that's a separate piece. And that's a really interesting piece: the menus and how you structure the menus, because the most important thing about a dark kitchen for profitability, if we're talking about profitability, is it has to be multi-branded. It cannot be a single brand. This is really, really important because unless you are in Nando's and you've got that, that massive presence, then you can operate as a single brand. But unknown brands like us have to go down the multi-branded route. And I, let me give you a few stats here. So it takes three months for a brand to get into break-even, roughly three months. So if you look at, we started with two brands initially, we launched the third brand, which is a bow brand about six, six to eight weeks ago. We're now coming close to breaking even with those three brands as a business. We're probably around uh, 500 to 1,000 pounds away weekly from breaking even, bearing in mind that we started the business and launched it on the 8th of February. What will get us over the line and to, to profitability is a further two brands. And that's really important. The, the, we're still building the th- original three brands in terms of its visibility, in terms of their uh, traction and their customer loyalty. That's happening and that will continue to happen. But you need to have another two brands to come in to really get you over the line and to give you that, that comfort that you need. To, to, to establish the business and then really develop and invest in the team and the, and the people and, and you know, serving those, the, 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 those employees. So three months, roughly, it takes to, to establish the brand, not break even, establish. For breaking even and profitability, you need four to five strong brands and it, it requires a lot of focus and concentration and putting especially the investment, the return on investment is really key here, putting the investment, the, the money, the advertising money, and you and I talked about this a little while ago, advertising money in the right spaces, in the right places. And I'm not talking about social media here. Um, I'm talking about a different way of advertising to create traction, to get that virtual footfall into your business. So it's, 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 it's not easy. To, to, uh, to the myth is it, it is not easy. It is actually easier, I think, my own, this is my own opinion, to launch a restaurant because you have a, a physical footfall. You've got two forms of uh, revenue streams, physical and virtual. Here, you just have one. You just have one. And, and we are, I guess, from my perspective, in a fortunate space because where the industry is at the moment, I don't have a staffing problem because I don't have front of house. So I don't have an issue with trying to find waiters and what have you, or bar, bartenders. I only have to make sure that I've got enough in the kitchen. So I've got a now a team of three full-timers um, and, and two part-timers. And that's running the kitchen really well. We do 150 hours of, of operating time. Uh, and you know, looking at, looking at data and metrics, Again, going back to the profitability question you have, look at the data, look at the metrics. I'll give you an example of that. It's really, really key here because it's cost versus revenue. You look at the, the, the important thing is not look at so much the, 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 the busy days, but look at the slow days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is our slow days. And we were opening um, on those days at 12 o'clock. And looking at the data, very little revenue came in between 12 and 6, 12 and 5. So we decided actually on those three days, we'll keep the, the kitchen closed. And we'll open only at 5 o'clock in the evening to 9 o'clock. And actually, you know what? We do more business 
now in that little four-hour space than we did in the in the eight-hour space and nine-hour space that we were initially looking at. And it's just looking at the metrics and tweaking it as you go along. And that reduces the cost per day because I'm not having to pay for staff to come in at 12. And I, great, I get greater profitability out of it by reducing the hours and keeping it really tight. And, it, and, and, and you've just got to be smart about this. And, and it's, it's a, look, we're, I don't look at us as being a food business. We're a tech business. We just happen to do food. There's a couple of questions that came out of your, your very good answer there. There's one that I will start with the last one that's called data or face the facts. And it's interesting you said in the end, we are not a food business. We are uh, a tech business. And tech businesses always look at the data to see how are they actually picking up behavior, how are they converting in principle, how they're, how they're going to, if it's Facebook, how are they going to get you in on the platform even more? How do they actually not you? So you, you come in and spend your time there and share things on their platform and build their audience. Um, but how are you you're approaching this? It sounds like almost you're approaching it like a, an experiment in a way. Yes, absolutely. And the data allows you to experiment. And again, let me give you another, another example of this, because this is, this is really key uh, um, for operators to understand. And, and especially those, those operators who are listening to this, who, who have a restaurant and are considering a hybrid um, format for their business. And that, and that is this. The street burger brand, which is our gourmet burger brand, we, we wanted to launch a vegan option. A vegan brand, basically. So we're launching uh, Love Earth um, at the end of August. And it's purely burgers, just standard gourmet vegan burgers. And we decided that we wanted to test the market. We knew there weren't very, very many vegan operators in, in the area, but we wanted to just to test the market, see how, how the metrics work, what, what was the feedback. So what we did was we, we took the a, a vegan burger called it love burger or love love earth burger and actually put it as a as an option to order from street burger from the current burger um uh, offering and it just went mad it, it, it just i mean it went crazy and that allows you but doing it that way and testing the market it allows you with a minimum of investment virtually nothing to test a, a, a burger concept in a particular regional area and see whether there is a market for it. Clearly there is. And so what we've done is we've, we, we called it Love Earth because we wanted to, that to morph into a brand so people know that that's, that's a product that they've bought before. And we've, we've taken the metrics and we said, yeah, okay, it works. And we're again looking at the, the same uh, ingredients deck as street burger, just with a, burger, with a vegan patty, um, similar sides, and we're very fortunate because what we did was right at the outset, one of the things I said to um, the development team in terms of menus, make sure everything is vegan. I want everything vegan. All our sauces, all our ingredients, everything is vegan. So that now allows me to have the maximum breadth. If I want to bring a vegan brand in, I can take, I can have them a maximum pick of you know ingredients that I want, and that's the space that we sit in. And um, and based on that, what what the, the the digital platform allows you to do is to a b test the market on sides, on mains, on dishes, on concepts, and then you can ask them by uh, putting in a, a a a small pamphlet or leaflet and get their feedback by putting a QR code in there, get them interacting with you and then get them to give you feedback and say, what did you think? Did you like it? What didn't you like about it? Do you like the brand? Do you like the name? Do you like the ingredients? What would you take in? What would you add in? So one of the things we got uh, feedback was uh, they wanted a guacamole in there. So we're going to put a, a vegan guacamole as, as, as a standard ingredient into the Love Earth Burger. So it's, it's, it's intelligently using the, the information and the facilities, the resources you have to test new ideas without having to go to menu prints or without having to 
throw in a whole bunch of um, uh, um, uh, investment without actually testing the concept at all. And this allows us to test the concept. And that's why data is so important in, in this. And in fact, you know what? It's important in a dark kitchen. It's important now on, on a restaurant basis. It's important in any, every aspect of life, if you think about it, um, especially uh, as operators in the current climate that we're in, where there's high risk at the moment. It's a fantastic way to, to um, test the market. And I'll give you another example of where, how current operators can, can test. And I, and I always talk about this when I go and see a potential client. I say, look, look at your menu, your analog menu, your walk-in menu that you hand, physically hand over to your, your physical footfall customer and pick one or two dishes, pick one that's your best seller. Then put that on a virtual offering on Deliveroo, Uber Eats. Yeah, put some sides in, put a couple of starters in, you know, dress it up nicely. You don't even have to call it the same brand as the restaurant name. You can dress it up something slightly different and A-B test it. Just A-B test it. And if, if restaurants are clever and have a customer list, which is their, their, their sort of treasure trove, because that's where, that's where their revenue sits, they can then email with a link all their customers and say, look, we're starting this new venture. Tell us, we'd love to know what you think. Get them to go on there. Get them to order the, the product. Talk about the packaging. Talk about sustainability. Talk about all these things. And that's another area that we've done a lot of investment in, packaging and sustainability. How do we take the customers, take that customer experience? Virtually, how do I take my customer when he receives my bag, how do I hold his hands sitting remotely and take him through that experience of, receiving the, 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 the bag, taking the, 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 the items out, opening the box, unwrapping the burger. How do I do that? And, and all these things are really, really important. It's, it's really minute detail that are really important to think about. But restaurateurs can do this. this that's how they can test the market. As I was thinking as you were talking, how do you actually, you know, because maybe you don't have the same work that you need to with opening hours and cost as a restaurant. I'm thinking you still need to positioning potentially five to to eight brand in the mind of the consumer in the area you operate in. I guess there's a lot of work that has to go into that because that's uh, that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, often in business that we just opened the door, especially in restaurants, we just opened the door. We didn't really think about how we're positioning this brand before we opened the door. It's, a, it's again, a, a, a fabulous question because I think the one thing I've learned is that the uh, multi brands in dark kitchens all have to have, they have to be related. There has to be a, a base um, in all those brands that are common. They cross pollinate between each other. And not only, I'm, I'm not only talking about cost, I'm talking about ingredients. I'm talking about concept. There has to be cross pollination of concept. It's really important. And I'll give you an example. If you look at my three brands, I can actually I can speak about all five of them. If you look at all five of the brands that the, the two that we're going to launch, there's there's a very similar concept that sits at the base of those brands, and that's this: two pieces of bread with the protein in the middle. That's it. That's the base. That's the concept. And if I look at, for example, um, Street Burger, it's a, a, a it's a beef burger gourmet brand. Wing Solo is a um, gourmet chicken burger and wings brand. Um, Bao buns are two pieces of effectively bread with the, the same chicken I'm using in wing solo in the bao buns. Um, the, the street salad brand, uh, it's a salad, but again, I've got a, a, a wrap with the same chicken that I'm using in wing solo and in, in, in bao buns in the wrap. You know, the, 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 uh, vegan brand, I'm using the same burger bun and the same salad. Again, two pieces of bread with, with, the, with the protein in the middle. That's what sells in that area. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you why it's, 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 the thing is, Michael, we, when we launched Wing Solo, it was only chicken wings and it didn't work. For a very long time, it limped. 
for at least two months it limped and it, it just didn't it was not catching because chicken wings are perceived to be sides on a menu not mains so what we did was we thought about this and said okay we can still keep the chicken wings we slightly changed the format of chicken wings it's still a main but we pushed it down visually down the platform and put the burgers using the same bun as street burger and as a love burger and we offer a chicken patty that's fresh produced in-house all our ingredients are produced in-house we don't buy anything frozen so it's made to order cooked there um, the dredge is made in-house um, our, our patties are, are, are you know squeezed down and, and made into burgers in-house so so Wing Solo was limping, and so we, we again. This is the beauty of digital; it allows it allowed us to flip it over overnight. Um, and you know, we we we. In, this is another thing that you got to look at investing in really good photography. Uh, you got to you got to put in a, a, a get in a guy. Uh, I got a food stylist and a photographer in, who's an ex chef actually, and we 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 spent. You know, twelve, fifteen hundred quid on each brand and getting it, getting the the, the the pictures right because Deliveroo picks up, Uber Eats picks up on this, and the moment you get good quality photos in, they 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 lift your 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 positioning in the rankings. So it, it so it, it's it is really important to to understand that you know the 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 concept going across the five brands is always the same. Now, if we move into a larger kitchen and say I want to have 10 brands, I can have five that sit and cross-pollinate against a set of ingredients decks, and I can have another five that sit and cross-pollinate through another five of a set of ingredients decks. So it's important when you're doing multi-branding that you have at least four or five brands that are, that are sharing the same concept, they're sharing the same ingredients, they're sharing the same cost. And through that, you, you reduce wastage and you mitigate risk. It's really important. We have virtually no risk and, and zero wastage when it comes to ingredients. We don't throw anything away. Everything gets used daily. And, and that's super interesting from an operational point of view. And then you you alert to that that also that uh, you know there is something about how you actually get in front of these customers that's very different than just posting on social media. Because you know if you went on your social feed during lockdown and through the pandemic, there's been a lot of food brand you know in, in the area you live in trying to you know sell their food to to you. And and now I guess they're also competing with restaurants that's open. But you're taking a bit of a different uh, counterintuitive approach uh, and actually using a, a little opportunity within the third-party platforms. Can you, can you tell the, the audience a bit about that? Because I think that's a super interesting approach. Yes, uh, and, and there's, there's, there's another piece to this puzzle, which is I'll, I'll touch on this a little later, um, uh, later on in this, in, in this answer, is, is the old versus the new way of um, marketing and selling. So when we first initially started, we were, we were putting in uh, paid ads into social media, uh, into Facebook and into, into Instagram. The, the, the issue with that is that it's hit and miss. So you're putting in an X amount and it's very difficult to measure return on investment. You can see the impressions, you can see the clicks, you can see how much you have to pay out. But we're seeing traffic clicking onto, say, Wing Solo or a, a, a video for Street Burger. But it wasn't converting, and 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 that was the issue that we were having. So with social media, it's great, but the, it's a hit and miss. You don't know really whether your money is working or not. And I guess it was very timely that the the the, the delivery platform, the third party platforms, introduced as only uh, six months ago, um, paid advertising within their own platforms. So we then took away that investment on social media. And we, we put it into these platforms, which was directly communicating with those people who wanted to buy food. And that allowed us then to really test the investment. So how do you test the investment? Firstly, it's the amount of money you put in, number one. 
Number two, you can test the investment also by the, the time of the day. So you can switch on, switch off the time of day and A-B test the investment. How does it work in a slow period? How does it work on a fast period? Um, you, you then also reduce, what, what it allowed us to do is, is once the brand got traction, we reduced the discounts. We reduced the, 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 the uh, special offers, increased our margin and put more money into um, advertising. That's super interesting, the, the discounting, because that's the traditional, the approach you will have in restaurants or in food to attract customers. Yeah. Fight for, for the lowest, uh, you know, yeah. accommodator and you become a commodity. Yeah, and that is very important. If you want to oversubscribe business, don't reduce your prices. Increase your offering, better your product, better your, the quality of the product. Invest in things like um, sustainable packaging. Um, invest in messaging the customer and holding their hand and taking them through that customer experience. In my opinion, do not reduce the prices. Create an oversubscribed business where there's a virtual queue standing behind you to come in. And one way, one very interesting way, there's an operator who is actually now the general manager of the building that we're in. And he, he taught me one or two things. And he said to me, he, he created an oversubscribed business. In the busy time, what they used to do is every hour for 10 minutes, they used to actually put the shop on busy mode. So what that would do is it would allow the backlog to, to exit the kitchen. So you get delighted customers. But he would then get phone calls saying, um, from the customer saying, look, we're trying to place an order. Uh, is everything all right? He goes, yeah, we're a little busy at the moment, but we'll stick around five, 10 minutes. You can place your order. And what that did was that he, he created a, a virtual queue of customers wanting to come on because they're saying, oh God, the perception is this is a busy restaurant. They're busy. So there must be something good that they've got. Let's just queue up. And it's, 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 it doesn't always work, but we tried it and actually it worked. So what happens is when you, when you re-enable the shop, you get a flood of 15, 20 orders coming one after another because they, 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 they've been queuing up. And I guess also you get an opportunity as you get busy to actually have a, a human conversation yeah. with yeah. Your, your customers yeah. and yeah. you can yeah. tell them yeah. why and, yeah. and then they, they don't want to miss out in a way. That's it really, just... really important. Really imp Sorry, Michael. Really important, Michael, that, that, that the, 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 the client, because remember, we're sitting behind the digital curtain. I can, take, I can make a choice in my business saying, I don't want to talk to anybody, but we don't do that. So there's a dedicated telephone number, a mobile number that my my brother he he's he, he's he's the, because he sits in the back end, he he receives these calls from customers and they say things like for example, um, sorry I forgot to add on extra sauce for so and so or please can you can you change my patty from beef to chicken, you know and and we do it, we do it, uh, you know and it's 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 what you call bespoking, customizing that customer. Um, interaction, that customer experience. If you look at the large brands, if you look at um, anybody like Byron's or anybody like that, what they offer is what you get. Once you go down the road of saying, okay, look, you have the power as, as a customer to choose what you want on in your burger and what you want to take out of your burger, that drives footfall that drives more customers because you are allowing them to customize it. It's a real pain for us, but we get real quality business out of that and repeat business. I'm getting customers now that have placed 15, 20 orders with us and this will come back for more and more. And that's within how many months are we talking about? Six months. Now? Six months, yeah. Yeah, so that's I've, quite got, a... I've, got, I've got over 600 reviews as a group already uh, across the three brands on Uber already. And those, those, those reviews, and the most of them, I would say 85% of those reviews are five-star reviews. That has a value. That is an asset. That's a, that's a brand asset to have. And, and coming, coming on from that, and actually talking a bit about 
building trust because when you open the doors in a restaurant, you have this face-to-face interaction with people and you can build trust from the first minute you open the doors and presuming that there's coming customers in, you can start building the brand because you're now interacting with customers. And you said the challenge is that you don't have the face-to-face. How do you actually build that trust around your, you know, your product, you know, your service, that you are who you are, you say you are. I can't come and see you guys. Um, I don't know if it's clean, all those things. Yeah, and that's, a, again, a very good question. That's where social media comes in. So that, 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 that's where the, uh, and I guess we, uh, we, we, we can do more in that area as a business. But one of the things that the platforms allow you to do is, for example, if you look at the very important um, aspect of, of food nowadays is allergens and uh, everything to do with uh, nutritional um, information, the platforms allow you to put in, in, in under each uh, dish, the allergen deck, the, the product specification deck. So the customer gets to see all of that. The more information you give to the customer on these platforms, the more trust you create because that's where all the activity is happening. Um, if you look at, for example, um, so how does social media work? Social media works when you talk about packaging, sustainable packaging. You, you can post about that. You can post about also how clean your kitchen is. So, you know, you, can, you, 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 you take photos and you create images of, of the kitchen operation, put out videos. Ultimately, what, what drives um, uh, trust is quality of food, sustainable packaging, that you've, you've, you've understood the, the, the customer and their needs, the environment, social responsibility. And you do that through the, the, the offering, the, the whole experience. The, it's, it's a bit like educating them. So we send out, for example, we send out um, little, little cards on um, take-ons and uh, add-ons and take-offs on a burger. So one side is the stuff they've added on based on their ticket and the other side is what they've taken off and you just those are little things that allows them and gives them confidence in that these guys actually know how to communicate and 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 those are the the, the things right at the ground level you're talking right at the ground level uh, that really has an impact because the best form of advertising and i and i would say this even with we're in the digital age now is word of mouth it's, it's, it's the best form of advertising. I had, a, I had a feedback on Uber the other day of a gentleman, and, he, and his son actually, um, and he wrote this. His son uh, said, look, try this brand. They're amazing. It's, the food is incredible. And he, 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 he bought three or four times, and then he posted. He, he said, you guys are just, it's, it's, it's an incredible offering, that, that, uh, and the experience is, is fabulous. And it's that consistency. We make mistakes. And one of the things that I do, and the, the platforms love it, and customers love it, every, every feedback, every review, I personally respond to. I thank them. It's really important to do that. It's really important to, and, and the more you do it, again, the platforms, the algorithm loves that sort of thing. You're interacting. Um, and it, 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 it creates trust. And people talk to each other. They have friends that come in. They have these, you know, all the, the social interaction that, that takes place. So that's, that's one area. The other area of, of I wanted to touch on was the old versus the new. And I think that is, again, the old should never be ignored because the old has a, has a way of, of, of um, uh, impacting customers. So what we've done is we've looked at the, at the radius. We have a three-mile radius around our, our unit. They're roughly... 16 to 17 postcodes in SW16 that we touch into as uh, in terms of our delivery. And what we've done is we've taken those uh, postcodes that are most affluent initially, and we've done leaflet drops based on the three brands, physical leaflet drops. We've done up, up to 80,000 now leaflet drops um, with a QR code directing them straight into the platform. And, you know, the, the, the sort of average return is about 5%. But you take 5% of 80,000, you've got a reasonable customer base there. Mm. 
Um, and and that's, that's also very, very important. So, so that's the old versus the new. The other challenge I think that dark kitchens have, and this is something that will become very apparent, um, and it's very important that we try to find a way around this, and we are doing this at the moment, is to create your own ownership of data. It's really important that we do that, because at the moment, the, my customer base is owned by Uber, Deliveroo, and Just Eat. I have no visibility of it. Uh, and I need to have control of, of, of at least a, a set of customers that I can communicate with. So we're uh, building, re we're rebu rebuilding our, our website, and there are, there are cloud technologies out there that allow us and help us to do that. One of them is texting. So Domino's is very good in, in, in sort of the, the texting scene. They're, they're very, they've got it right. So we want to, we want to look, we're looking at that model and how can we use texting, SMS texting, to create a, a traction, a, a, a subset of customers, a customer base, a database, where we can, uh, we can push in um, special offers um, or, or, or deals outside of the, 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 the platform, especially in the, in the less busier times. Or if there's a football event, if there's an Olympics event, is there, if there's you know, Wimbledon. Using those, those um, uh, sort of events to, to, to create more traction. And that's why it's really important to have this, 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 this customer base. Um, restaurateurs and hotels have a customer base. And it's there. They own that, that, that information. They should be taking that. That's gold dust to them and saying, okay, we've got this customer base. How can we communicate and say, we're creating a virtual brand. Give us some feedback. And, and it's interesting that you're now, you're, you're saying, well, the, the third party platform are important, but also we need to have control over our yeah. data, coming back to data. Does that mean also you see that, you know, that you need to have your own supply chain? Or when I say supply chain is delivery network as well, put on that, or would you say that you will still use that through the third parties? Because again, that's logistically, I guess that's one of the biggest challenges, you know, no matter what you do. If there's, if there's anything that's, I'm going to be very honest with you, Michael, if there's anything that's stopping me from having my own data, ownership of data, is exactly that. In my previous life, I ha we used to run 80 vehicles. That means, you know, we had minimum of 80 drivers. It's a very high cost base business it's 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 a very difficult business to to you know, the logistics business is a very difficult business to make money in and it brings its own challenges and difficulties we are very skeptical of having our own runners we just we and riders we, we we don't want that because why one thing i've learned is you know don't try to be everything to everybody create a narrow channel, uh, channel for yourself be extremely good at that that's where your oversubscribed business sits. So what we do is that we produce fantastic food and fantastic packaging, and we leave the delivery to Deliveroo, Uber Eats, and Just Eat. Now, if I go down the route of looking at um, uh, trying to create my own data, data bank or database, there are businesses like Flipdish who help you do that. So they, your Platform sits on, on their platform. It's, it's my brand, my logo will be there. Um, and I drive footfall through social media onto that. They register, and underneath Flipdish, they've got three businesses that actually manage drivers. So those drivers, um, they're the companies who have riders basically in the area. And those riders, and interestingly, Flipdish now is actually. Um, integrating with the software we're using in our current location. So the drivers would come through the control center of, of where we are, and the control center would actually hand the bag over. So the way this works, just to give you a stepping back here for the, for the, for the listeners, is that uh, we have runners in, 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 our, in our business. The runners are provided by the it's a service that's provided by food stars who are the owners of that building. When I finish a, a, an order, they have a software. I basically click on that software and it says the, the bag is ready to be picked up. I never have to leave my kitchen. A runner comes from the control center to my kitchen, picks up the bag, takes it back to the control center, and hands it over to the driver. Okay? So that's a service that they provide. Now, not all dark kitchens have this because if you're a standalone unit, then you'll have to deal with the drivers directly. 
dealing with drivers is very time consuming. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an art in itself. They're, they're a, a sort of entity onto themselves. And so you potentially need another person who has to deal with that route, which means more cost. It's always about measuring the cost that you're paying to the platforms of 30, 30, 33%, as opposed to having a, a, a full timer. And then, you know, you have whatever happens, you've got to pay them, whether it's busy time or whether it's slow time, you've still got to pay them. And that's why we, every time we do this measure, we say, no, the, the 30, it's worth paying the 30%. It's worth paying the 30% because we don't have to deal with them. I don't have to hire somebody to manage drivers. And so the, 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 the third party flip dish that I'm talking about, yes, there will be, there will be elements of us having to deal with drivers. And that would be my, my brother. And potentially we may have to hire one or two more people. We haven't decided whether we're going to go down that route yet, but it's, uh, we, we've, we've um, created associations with flip dish. We have an account with them. There's integrations going on at the moment, but we have to be very careful um, because, you know, what's the flip side of, of bringing something out like that? If something's not broken, Michael, why try to fix it? Mm. You know, and, and that's, that, that's the key here. Data ownership is really important. And, and I, I asked the question, have we looked and have we investigated all possible channels to create that data ownership? Is this the only way to do it? Is there another way to do it? Yeah, and I guess, again, if you can build that relationship with your customer and get them on your website, attract their email, you suddenly have an opportunity to know much yeah. more about them over yeah. time. But again, yeah. that's a page game. One other thing I want to touch on as well, because as you talk through this, even though six months, eight months doesn't sound uh, like a lot, but you are launching now the fifth brand, but you have been very methodically and very careful not moving too fast, you said to me in earlier conversation. What is your philosophy about scaling it? Because, you know, I've seen a lot uh, of brands or dark kitchen operation where they start with five to eight brands off the go and they crash because of complexity. They hadn't really tested what worked, didn't work, and then you have all these moving parts you have to take care of. Yeah, uh, uh, brilliant, brilliant question. I think it's 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 uh, it's really important to understand that it's great, you know, have five six brands in the pipeline. Start with the two most popular, at least two or three most popular, and and the brands need to be very similar in style, in concept. And I talked about you know two pieces of bread with a protein in the middle. Um, whatever you decide, whether it's uh, Indian curries or whether it's uh, noodles or Japanese oriental, whatever it is that you decide to do, they need to, there needs to be a correlation between each of those brands, number one. Number two, also remember the fact that, you know, um, the, the ingredients deck. So if you look at our ingredients deck, we're, 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 um, we've got about 70 to 75 um, SKUs exclude all the packaging, just the food ingredients that sit across those potentially five brands. So, you know, if I look at Asian Buffalo sauce, I'm using them in all my, all the brands, but we just call them something else. Um, so it's, 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 it's talking about, it's thinking about how those brands can create um, a synergy, but they, they, how you create a differential between them is the photography, is uh, the, the, the sort of the, those, those very important touch points when the customer sees it. When the customer sees those brands, there should be a differentiation between them. There should be no correlation from the customer's perspective that they're coming from the same kitchen. And that's, that's the key here. In the background, there's very close synergy. On the external, they, they need to be completely different. And that's the, 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 one of the reasons why um, a lot of dark kitchens don't work, especially if they're run by restaurant operators, is that they have a very big ingredients deck, there's high wastage, and uh, operations are not tightly controlled. Um, labor is another big area that needs to be controlled very, very very tightly. Matthias and I work very closely with the rotor. And we, we have a discussion every week on a Friday evening. I have a discussion with him every week. I said, right, let's look at the rotor. Um, he sits down, he gives his, his um, uh, because I, I've given him ownership of the rotor. He knows where the parameters are. 
We're looking at 150 hours a week. He knows in terms of value where the, th the threshold is. And, and I, I basically touch base with him saying, are you okay with the rotor? Are you struggling with it? Is there anything that I need to do to help you? And, and so you, we create clarity in that space for uh, my colleague to be able to understand, okay, this is what the business can, can afford. And I have this sort of parameter to work from. And, 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 and that clarity is really important. And this is one of the reasons why if I look at operators that have come and gone, you know, they've got three people sitting in a kitchen doing nothing on a Monday afternoon. And just, there's just cost going out of the door and no, no revenue. And there's no thought put behind it. Um, I've always felt that if, if you, a lot of the, 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 the people who are, not unsuc who, are, who are unsuccessful are restaurateurs who've gone into these dark kitchens and they've tried to run them, run them as restaurants, not as, not as production units. You know, um, I've, I've, I've tested the, the, the business myself. So on, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, for quite a long time, I did the afternoon shift. So I opened at 12, and I worked alone till 5. And then the second person helped me in the evening. And I just wanted to test whether I could, I could serve my customer alone. So I had three brands. And, you know, on, on average, we had eight to, 8 to 12 orders come through in that time period and it's very it's very feasible for one person to do it you know and you just what you're doing you're consistently looking at um the again the metrics and seeing if the if volume rises then you get a second person in um and and it's understanding that and it's understanding the reasons why um the reasons why a lot of operators don't make it through and are not successful is is one the cost two they try to do too much on the platforms. They need to uh, look at their signature dishes only. Put six dishes on there and, and, and provide a lot of variations in, through your sides and your, your starters. Um, and then this, this whole piece around understanding the delivery platform, not social media, it's delivery, the, the, the delivery platform. It's understanding how they operate, how they work. Um, and, and understand, the, not necessarily the algorithm, but understand the features and how you can use those features. And that's super interesting with the, the delivery platforms and going, you know, the next 12 months, because a lot of people were discussing, is delivery going to drop or it's going to maintain its level or it's going to have a little dip and then it's going to come back up. Um, and it seems like it's found its own space. It's like it exactly, you know, created its own market during the pandemic because there was no other way to, to get food. What is your view on that? And you can see delivery platforms also, which I think are very interesting, is going into grocery now. So they're actually moving away, just solely focusing on restaurants, which again, or food delivery, again, gives a competition within the platform who is going to get the writers and the speed i guess uh what is your thoughts about the, the future of dark kitchen and the whole delivery area i think it's here to stay honestly i i, I think it is, it is here to stay it, it has a, a it has a big space um a place um to, to sit in you know if you look at some of the stats and the data that's coming through uh there's there's an increase the uk specifically is is um, driving the online takeaway business uh, in Europe. It's one of the leading members when it comes to that sort of, if you look at the stats. And the technology that is being used is, is now quite sophisticated. Um, it's it's they're, they're understanding the, the, the end consumer rather well. The end consumer at the end of the day is driving this. Um, they're, they're looking for convenience. Uh, they're looking for ease. Uh, you know, uh, Michael, you know this, that uh, in sales, it, in frictionless selling is the best way to sell. So if you can, if you can get your customer to, to buy your product or services within one or two clicks, you, you're there. You're there. And, and, and that's the whole focus on, on these delivery, delivery, delivery platforms, is that how do you reduce the friction and open those doors for the co consumer to basically go in and come out and then not worry about will I, will I get my delivery and then make sure the deli it, it's delivered, the goods are delivered. And I think that's, that's what I'm saying. The pandemic has 
in my opinion, accelerated this process. Um, uh, food service was running quite far behind, generally speaking, especially if I look at supply chain to the, the rest of the industry, to retail. Um, I think that's changed. Uh, the, the, the home delivery element, um, looking from an online perspective, it's just jumped three, four notches. I believe that if anybody who does not have an internet present as a, as a, as a bricks and mortar operator will, will miss out. They'll definitely miss out. And, and the question I ask when I go and see an operator is this, what's your current um, run rate for home deliveries, for virtual footfall? If it's two or three a day, then there's a, there's a lot more that can be done there. They should sit around 10 to 12 a day in terms of the amount of volume and traffic that they, 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 they receive. And the reason why it sounds low is because, remember, they're also, the kitchen is sitting there serving the, the physical footfall. So it's, it's the fine balance that the restaurants want to be able to achieve. But if you're looking from a purely dark kitchen perspective, for us, um, for break-even point uh, would be around... 48 to 50 orders a day uh, on an average ticket value. And this is what we, the way we worked it out was through the research we did in the area of SW16 was about 17 and a half pounds per ticket. Actually, what transpired was that the, our average ticket value is between 23 to 25 pounds per ticket, which means that the, your threshold reduces in terms of volume. And this is really important to understand. One, one thing I've learned in the dark kitchen business, don't run after volume. Run after the ticket, average ticket value. Why? Because you, you're sitting there then not having to service a huge amount of customers and you're delighting every single one of them by low volume, high value. And that's super interesting. And it comes back to as well, don't discount focusing on selling value and, and add on to the ticket, which is actually how yes. you a, a really profitable restaurant is run as well. They don't yes. focus on discount. They're just focusing on increasing the, the spend. Uh, and I have, a, I have just been on holiday and I had that experience in a very local uh, Italian deli restaurant where they were extremely good at this at where I thought mentally when I get in, we're going to spend about 30, 40 pounds. We spent about 70 pounds before we were out because mm. they just skipped on in yeah. the way of serving you, not yeah. selling, serving yeah. you. Serving and just you. Yes. wanted to give you more experience and you were hungry yeah. for more because every time yeah. you got this, yeah. you just wanted more. Yeah. That's super interesting. You say that's a learning in Dark Kitchen. I haven't heard that before. Um, we just gone through a, a crazy year. I have two questions to you here in the end. As a, a crazy year of 2020, pandemic and uh, all the things. We don't have to analyze that. There's already been done a lot of mileage in that. But what is your life and leadership lesson in a year like the pandemic and launching you know, a new business, making a transition from, from an old career into a new career? What is the, the biggest lessons you take with you? Trust your team. Trust your team. It's something I didn't do. In my previous life, mm. I, I jumped. I jumped into everything. Um, trust the people that you've hired because they're there, and then trust them by actually giving them something. And I'm not talking about salary. I'm, to, I'm talking about you know giving giving them ownership, physical ownership of the business, and then giving yourself to them. Mm. So become a servant leader in principle. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think that's really key. Uh, you know, when 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 your colleagues the people that work with you start seeing that you actually trust them. And, and, and you know, Matthias has said to me many, many times, you know, what do you think? I said, well, you tell me what you think, because I know what I know what I do, but I want to know what you do. And then, and then he turns around and says, well, this is what I would do. I said, okay, let's do that. Then. And I said, look, you'll get it wrong. You may get it wrong. You may get it right. But that's the point. That's the whole point of learning. And, and one thing I advocate uh, to, to, to the people who work with me, we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. I make mistakes when I'm when I'm serving packaging, uh, when I'm when I'm on the on the garnishing station. I make mistakes. I, I I say to them, tell me if you tell me if you see that I'm doing something wrong, tell me that I've done it wrong. You need to bring it up. I'm one of you. I'm not I'm I'm not sitting on my on my ivory tower and that you don't have the you know you don't you don't have the courage. You've got to point it out. I'm one of you. I'm one of the operators. I'm one of the guys that right on the ground level. 
So tell me, and it's, it's creating that safe psychological space for the team to be able to engage with you in a way where there's no repercussions to them. The job is safe. They should be able to come to me and say, look, I didn't like this, what you said, or I didn't like, I'm worried about this. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's something that I, I, I've learned over the years is to, to give them that security, that sense of, um, um, one, importance also to safety, that they, they have the freedom to express themselves. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, a, again, a great believer in respect, a great believer in, 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 in giving them that, that ability to be able to, be able to um, express themselves to me. Because ultimately, you know, when we have power, uh, and how do you use that power? Uh, uh, again, through my, my own experiences, is that the more power you have, the more humility you need to show, the more humbleness you, you need to bow down even further, the more power you've got. Um, and and that's, that's, you know, trust. Trust the guys. Really important. And that's super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that because that's like an old identity. You almost leave behind the, 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 the control and the power kind of thing, which is the old paradigm, top-down, industrial thinking to potentially whatever we call the new paradigm, a paradigm of autonomy, mastery, and purpose for, for people to work in your business. I, I love that. That's from Daniel Pink, by the way. I didn't create yes. that, but <laughs> I, I love Daniel Pink. Um, so if uh, you should uh, give the, some top advice to, to leaders out there, you know, dark kitchen or any other hospitality business, what would be there or maybe outside hospitality as well? What would your top three advice be to leaders in, in this current moment of time? Yeah, it's interesting. And this, this is, you know, one of them is based around obviously the current situation with the pandemic. Um, so uh, I, I think for the first for me, because my why is based around freedom, uh, the freedom of choice uh, that's the, the, I discovered my why through that is the, is is the ability to learn to serve number one to serve you know and and for me leadership it goes back to the previous question leadership comes from, not from leading but by serving you create a following through the service and the one thing that leaders need to understand is you serve your team you serve your employees they don't serve you you serve them it's and our, our politicians have forgotten that too by the way so yeah it's it's really important that, that number one number two i think um especially in 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 the current climate of the pandemic be patient you know patience is, is something of a bit of virtue i'm a very impatient guy i've learned the hard way um so yeah be be patient be patient with your team be patient with your business be patient with your suppliers um, be patient with your customers, uh, and you know patience is it's, it's really important. Thirdly, change before change changes you. So change before change changes you. I think that that to me raises the bar for yourself that you're always in that space of change. Operate in that space of change. So there's nothing that really surprises you because you're consistently working at that high level of change is going to happen. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying change is going to happen in a negative way. I'm talking in a, in a positive way. So be ready for it. Be adjustable. Be flexible. Uh, the, the, the dark kitchen, the hospitality in general, dark kitchen business, like any service business, is, is all about adaptability. It's all about flexibility. It's about, you know, a customer walking in and says, I, I can't have sesame seeds on my, on my, on my food. You, you know, you, you don't say to the customer, sorry, you've got to eat it. You, you make sure you take it off. So it's, it's, that, it's that change. And again, where we sit in the, with the pandemic, hopefully behind us, and two lockdowns, a lot of change has happened. A lot of change has happened. And I think the... the that element has to be embraced, especially in hospitality, and especially when it comes to staff, especially when it comes to staff. Our attitude towards staff has to change. That was some uh, great advice, Asa, and uh, I, I can't add anything. You, you said it very well. Um, so 
thank you so much for for coming on the show Asa, and share your experience especially within the first year of starting business i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that has had some reflection and notes where, where can people find you if they think that i want i want to know more or i maybe want to reach out well where's the best place to go yeah so uh, linkedin uh, I'm, yeah. I'm i'm heavily uh, uh, sort of uh, I operate on linkedin so my linkedin profile and chowbunch.com, www.chowbunch.com. Um, ask us at Chowbunch. You can contact me. Um, and also Azar uh, at Chowbunch.com. I'm available there. Great. And we'll put that in the, in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. And uh, we send you, you know, you and the team, Power and Energy for, for the time ahead, whatever that brings. Uh, and I'm sure we will catch up very soon. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Asa, thank you so much for your super strong insights on how to launch a dark kitchen brand and get to break even by using data to make better leadership and business decisions. I would recommend you to sit down with a pen and paper and ask yourself, how can I optimize my online sales and operational setup by taking some of the great insights from this conversation and implement them? And also, if you want to learn more about how becoming better at running a dark kitchen, please tune into our bonus episodes. Coming Back Stronger, Episode 5, with Jess Abdullah, CEO and founder of Urban Hospitality, where we also talk dark kitchen. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us in bringing great insights and strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on the social at BizSimply or Simply HQ. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thank you and be maverick.